Promise No Promises Songs to Sound Worlds The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series of episodes devoted to songs to sound worlds, stories to rewrite them, on gender, storytelling and myth. This series emerges from the Autumn 2022 Master Symposium at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, moderated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer, supported by Südkulturfonds. Etel Adnan once wrote, spectrally and spectacularly, mountains are spaceships and mountains are women. What else are mountains? What else women? Whose spaceship? And why collapse them into one story? To critically and virtuosically address the world from such mythic and counter-hegemonic positions means to face colonial histories and neocolonial realities, as well as their denial of ancestral and speculative ways of perceiving and shaping that very world. Our Autumn Master Symposium was devoted to artists and thinkers whose work addresses the importance of retelling and reinterpreting stories and myths that regard identity and gender with all their ecological and spectral entanglements intact. Such myths often transcend colonial binaries, offering life-generating languages that employ fiction and fantasy, poetry and song, which predate the systems imposed by heteromodernity and its patriarchization of our most foundational stories. This podcast series features talks and performances by Jumana Emila Bud, Bania Bedi, Christian Campbell, Achaye Kerunen, Astrid Ismaili, Tessa Mars, and Kara Springer. Episode 6 Systems Kara Springer is an artist of Jamaican and Bajan heritage who was born in Bridgetown, Barbados and raised in southern Ontario, Canada. Her work is concerned with care and amateur, the underlying structure that holds the flesh of a body in place. Working with photography, sculpture, and site specific interventions, she surveys from a structural support within urban infrastructure and systems of institutional and political power. Part one. As I grow more and more obviously pregnant, I begin to notice that it is with two sole exceptions, one black and one white man. Only women of color, primarily black, who get up to offer their seats to me on the train each day. Part two. It seems every week there is a new expose about black women dying in childbirth in the United States and in the state of New York where I happen to be. Part three. I am not from here. I think about going home. Part four, 
I find a black midwife. She is Haitian and her name is Sabine. She feels to me like a harsh older sister. She is reprimanding but also kind. She shares a practice with two other women. I ask her if she's seen the articles. She tells me not to think too much about this. I am healthy, I'm doing all the right things. Part five. I make a point to tell her every time the opportunity arises that I want her to be the one to deliver my baby. I think about this often. I tell her personal things about myself trying to make sure she sees me. I worry that one of her colleagues will be on call when I go into labor. Part six. My body won't stop bleeding after she's born. I lose enough blood to fill a body. Sabine is there. The room fills with women. They look like the women who offered me their seats. I want to close my eyes, but there is always one of them holding my gaze. Part seven. My pulse disappears and then returns as the women replace the blood through my wrists and ankles. They stem the flow. For three days, more women come and go from the room. They save me. I awake and meet my daughter. We go home. Um, so just to offer a little bit of context into this piece, which shows as a small text piece on the wall with seven frames of text underneath of seven of this framed image in repetition. So in 27 and 2018, there was this research coming out and there were a lot of articles about these soaring rates of black maternal mortality. So this wasn't new, but what was new is that up to that point, there had always been this idea that the reason for the discrepancy in rates of death during childbirth among black women had to do with low socioeconomic status or um, being uneducated or lack of access to healthcare or poor nutrition, these sorts of things. Um, but this research demonstrated that those elements could not account for these numbers, couldn't account for these discrepancies. And so it was a moment of recognition that um, we needed to look at more nuanced reasons and understandings of what was happening. And for me, it also, of course, meant that the risk was inevitable. There wasn't anything that I could do or a black woman could do. You couldn't be educated enough or anything enough to avoid the fact that you were more likely to not survive. So as I navigated my experience of birthing my daughter, I knew as a black woman that I needed essentially to manipulate this system into caring a little bit more than it otherwise would about whether I lived or died. So I tend in my work to always be thinking about structures. I hope by paying close attention to systems of structural support to better understand how a structure might stand and how it might fall or break apart at the seams. I see this as fundamentally rooted in processes of care and tending in being attuned to the specificities of a given context and environment in order to better understand how a structure might live sustainably in relationship to the world around itself. I used to envision this idea of the study of structures as something that would be a thinking through how one might at times agitate a broken system and at others endeavor to heal. 
to reconstitute new forms out of the broken pieces. I find myself in this moment, though, very much in a place of transition away from a project centered in the disruption or even repair of broken systems, and rather toward an interest in how we might extricate ourselves from harmful systems grounded in extraction. What is the potential held in the reclamation of our time, our labor, our energy, from structures and relationships that know no other way than to do us harm? So I want to use this forum on gender storytelling and myth, on songs to sound worlds, and stories to rewrite them, to think about the way that this shift, while certainly informed by many experiences, including these last chaotic years, is also for me fundamentally connected to my experience of entering into motherhood. So this image, it's this kind of little insignificant piece of fabric of linen cast in plaster. Uh, so it's this very fragile thing that's then broken and broken and broken. And so it's broken so much that it really can't be broken anymore. So it moves to something that's actually quite robust. Making this work, this was the first time I was in, this is during my MFA studies in Philly. It's the first time I was in like an institutional white wall space making art. Um, and it's the first time I was making art for a white walled gallery space. And my work always tends to be in conversation with the world around it with some environmental context. And I realized that this was really me kind of speaking in conversation with these white walls. And I realize now that I tend to, in such spaces, engage in this kind of obsessive imagining of the crumbling of these walls. And so this installation is titled The Elevation Series, and in parentheses, don't you fuck with my energy, 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 which makes reference to a Princess Nokia track from that time, so this is 2017. And so then there's another piece that showed alongside this. The piece was only visible as a label on the wall. And so the title of the piece is, If Things Go to Shit, Come Here, Tear Down These Walls, Philadelphia 2017. And the contents are 960 bottles of water, 1,190 tins of sweet peas, black beans, diced tomatoes, chickpeas, sweet corn, and green beans stored inside existing gallery wall. And so I actually climbed inside an existing gallery wall and placed these contents there. And I saw it as this proposal in a way that might be scaled up to a larger institutional context. And with the idea being that in case of global disaster or civil unrest, a site, such a site, such a cultural institution might become this place of refuge where we could enter into it and the walls would um, contain sustenance for us. And this piece is titled The Earth and All Its Inhabitants. So I made this work in the first year of my daughter's life using an image that I'd been sitting with in my studio for some years. It was taken in Nassau, Bahamas, a ladder jammed into the seabed at low tide falling just slowly enough for me to capture this photo. Eventually, I used the photo to create this double-sided battery-powered light box. At each site where the work would be exhibited, I envisioned creating a cart of some sort that would allow me to be able to move the work by myself independently. 
And in part, the rechargeable batteries allowed me to make this thing mobile. So I had this idea that this work could appear in unexpected sites. For example, um, this intersection in Exuma, which is a small rural island of the Bahamas. And so I had this idea that it would appear and be a kind of imagining of a portal, this unexpected object. And the other piece of it is that I would have to tend to it over the course of the day. It would only remain charged for about two hours at a time, so I would have to go back and forth. When this piece showed in a gallery context, it was decidedly inconvenient in that it needed to be tended to. Um, so for example, the first time it showed was in the National Gallery of the Bahamas. And the curator asked me, like, can we just get an electrician in here and plug it into the wall? Um, because they just did not have the human power to deal with it. I decided that it actually felt fine for me for it to be dark sometimes, for it not to be always on. And as it happened during that showing, there were rolling power outages, there was Hurricane Dorian. So for the most part, the work sat dark in the gallery. So my daughter was born in 2018 while I was completing the independent study program at the Whitney Museum of American Art. At about three weeks old, she began attending lectures and studio visits with me, and she and I have been in residence or fellowship together ever since, as we are currently in Basel, just across the courtyard from here. In 2019, six months before the start of the pandemic, we moved to Texas for a two-year fellowship that corresponded with the various exhibitions of this show. I remember feeling at the time that my insistence on maintaining the bulky clumsiness of that infrastructure, that maintenance process, felt somehow in parallel to my presence in the world at that time of early motherhood, particularly there inside of that institutional space. The inconvenience of my inability to adhere to administrative timelines and obligations, my slowness, the new bulkiness of my life. I no longer had control over my time or my body for that matter. One's relationship to time fundamentally changes under such circumstances. So in physics, CPT symmetry is a fundamental symmetry of physical laws that holds for all physical phenomenon. In their theorizing, Black Quantum Futures draws a connection between this acronym, CPT, and the phrase colored people's time. CPT in that sense is often used as a negative stereotype to refer to black people as being chronically late. Um, and so Black Quantum Futures and others engaged in this exploration of Afrofuturism and Black Quantum Futurism reappropriating notions of time and temporality itself, stealing back time to actively create a vision of the future for marginalized people. And so this is something that I experience as a colored person in the world, um, but also this experience of what I'll call mothering time, this infinitely more encumbered and inconvenient version of myself pushed me even further into asynchronicity with institutional expectations and demands. Around this time, one day, I mentioned my exhaustion and lack of sleep to a woman working at the counter of the cafe at the museum where I held my fellowship. She told me that her son always slept well the key, she said, is that she didn't hold him as a newborn. She knew that she would have to return to work in six weeks, which is the standard maternity leave in the United States, so she didn't let him get used to being held by her. 
I think about this story all the time, the depth of it, the profound and endless violence of capitalist interventions into mothering, and particularly into black mothering. All of the manifestations of being forced to care for other people's children instead of your own, to care for other people's homes instead of your children, to clean, maintain, and administer all of these structures, these institutions. To paraphrase Francois Verge in her talk at the first loophole of retreat, black women clean the whole world. So later, when the piece showed in the Netherlands where readily available support meant it remained illuminated constantly, the lack of those periods of darkness, the lack of rest, could only seem unbearably exhausting to me. Um, so this is part of, a, of an exploration that I began also in that time in Texas. I was, so as I said, I was in fellowship. I was inside of an institution that was very much funded by oil money. I was in Houston, Texas, which is fueled by, by the oil industry, and so it's something that I was thinking about in a lot of ways. And I ended up um, taking these sheets, these kind of plates of grease, which is thickened oil, industrial grease, up to the rooftop of the building that I was in, my studio was in. So these are macro photographs of oil. And I started taking these images kind of around sunset, and there was this beautiful thing that happened where the oil would reflect the light in all of these ways. This iteration, I made a piece that's titled, Do I Have to Build You a Fucking Pyramid? It's comprised of double-sided photographic prints on dye-bond panels. So here, so as I said, I'm kind of thinking through my movement between this place of kind of obsessively thinking about how to survive within institutional spaces and in that way obsessively thinking about this kind of crumbling and breaking down or reparative work and moving towards something that is closer to a meditation on freedom that I hope that I am at the beginning of engaging with. I see myself here in the making of this work, still in this space of exhausted frustration. The question is wary. What more can I do for you? What can we do? We can engineer all the beauty and precision of the world and still be viewed as a mere resource to be exploited and extracted. When I saw the way the light reflected across the surface of this material as I photographed it, it felt like the discovery of a new landscape or some hidden piece of the ocean. These long dead fossils, this blackest of substances, seemed to hold the very light of the world. I wondered how is it that our deep reliance on this material translates not to reverence and care, but rather to violent extraction and degradation? It's as though the more powerful, the greater the energetic potential, the greater the imperial need to subjugate and exploit. As it is for this oil, this nectar mined from the earth's inside that fuels our very world. As it is for those most essential bodies who care for and tend to and clean our very world. So the last work that I'll share borrows its title from a work by the late poet Kamal Brathwaite, with whom I share the island of my birth, Barbados. I'll close by reading the poem, which is a meditation on freedom. I'm interested in the way in which Brathwaite gestures toward freedom as writer and performer Amber Rose Johnson remarks, as something beyond capture, beyond market capitalism and materialism, but rather a turn toward the common, 
Quoting Johnson, Brathwaite turns to nature. He turns to trees and sky that is beyond containment. And then he says, I want my name to sound like that. So the slides that you'll see as I read the poem are high resolution scans of fired clay and of my skin. Those of my skin have undergone a simple Photoshop alteration, control I, that inverses their position on the color spectrum. The installation, titled I Must Be Given Words, features a series of double-sided light boxes connected in real time to a sensor that I wore throughout the month-long run of the show, which monitored my breathing pattern. The luminosity of each box brightening with every inhalation and dimming as I exhaled. In this way, the installation becomes a system onto itself whose infrastructure relies on my continuing to breathe. I experienced this as a kind of durational performance and also as a particular kind of care. It forced me to think about breathing slowly and deeply in a way that I rarely do in the breathlessness of every day and also to acknowledge the stillness of that space in which I attend to my breath as a labor, as something productive. Though it's absurd to need to be powering an elaborate installation in a gallery somewhere to recognize the act of breathing as useful, it also feels like it might, in fact, be the seed of some other system in some other world in which energy is harnessed in some entirely other way. So this is Nagus by Kamal Brathwaite. It, 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 it is not. It, 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 it is not. It is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free of the red, white, and blue, of the drag of the dragon. It is not. It is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free of the whips, principalities, and powers. Where is your kingdom of the word? It, 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 it is not. It, 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 it is not. It is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free of malarial fevers, fear of the hurricane, fear of invasions, crops, drought, fires, blisters upon the cane. It is not enough to tinkle to work on a bicycle bell when hell crackles and burns in the 14-inch screen of the Jap of the Jap of the Japanese constructed United Fruit Company imported hard sell tell tale television set rhinocerously knobbed cancerously tubed it is not it is not it is not enough to be able to fly to Miami structure skyscrapers Excavate the moon, escaped seashore, sands to build hotels, casinos, sepulchres. It is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free, 
to bulldoze God's squatters from their tunes, from their relics, from their tombs of drums. It is not enough to pray to Barclays bankers on the telephone to Jesus Christ by shortwave radio, to the United States Marines by rattling your hip bones. I must be given words to shape my name to the syllables of trees. I must be given words to refashion futures like a healer's hand. I must be given words so that the bees in my blood's buzzing brain of memory will make flowers, will make flocks of birds, will make sky, will make heaven the heaven open to the thunderstone and the volcano and the unfolding land. It is not, it is not, it is not enough to be pause, to be whole, to be void, to be silent, to be semicolon, to be semicolony. Fling me the stone that will confound the void. Find me the rage and I will raise the colony. Fill me with words and I will blind your God. At, at, atibon, atibon legba, atibon legba, ouvri bai pour moi, ouvri bai pour moi. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit detank.ch or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Editing and voiceover, Elena Ziesa. Music, Niklas Kammermeier. Research Team, Tabea Rutfuchs and Marion Ritzmann. Press and Communication, Anna Franke. Technical Support by Esther Hunziger, Karin Bohrer, Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. Copyright Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, 2023.